Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Hey, here's something you can do while you're listening to Detroit Today. If you go to WDET.org, click on WDET's editorial election survey, you can help us shape the coverage that you will be hearing here on WDET during the election season this year. Very short survey. Quick questions will help us decide what things you think are the most important to be thinking about and reporting on during the elections this year. Up front today, President Donald Trump has surrounded himself with climate change skeptics. In some cases, that's really, really concerning. Take Scott Pruitt, who is the head of the Environmental Protection Agency, and who recently said that evolution is a, quote, theory and has challenged environmentalist concerns at every turn. In other cases, it's just less clear why it would matter whether a department head didn't believe in climate science, such as when Ben Carson challenged the veracity of climate science or when the head of the Department of Agriculture hired a right-wing radio host who dismissed climate research as, quote, junk science. Emily Holden is a reporter with Politico who says climate change is pertinent to all facets of government, and the people Trump surrounded himself with can and have changed the environmental concerns of our government for years to come. She recently wrote an article titled, Climate change skeptics run the Trump administration, Holden tells Detroit Today senior producer Laurel Weber Davis that she noticed early on that Trump was gathering a team of climate skeptics and deniers. So we've seen since the nominees for top cabinet posts were going through that during the confirmation process, a lot of people were making comments about the uncertainty of climate change, with which scientists disagree with. They say that they're very certain that humans are the main cause of rising temperatures right now. And so we went back and uh, essentially did a survey and found that at least 20 people in the Trump administration in top positions have uh, beliefs that either climate change isn't happening or we're not sure if humans are causing it or how much they might be causing it. So one of the things that strikes me um you had this quote from Brent uh, Fuel. Is that how you pronounce his last name? Fewell? Yeah. Or is it Fuel, like gasoline? <laughs> Fuel. <laughs> so you had this quote from Brent Fuel. He's a conservative environmental lawyer uh, who worked under the Bush administration. And he said, a lot of people on the political right are uninformed about the issue. For whatever reason, it's a lot easier to simply agree with the prominent voices in the political party. Tell me a little bit about that mentality, the, the, the sort of overtaking of politics versus science, because I, I, the, the thing that constantly baffles me, and obviously I'm finding the trouble finding the words for it, is that this dismissal of scientific evidence as there is no scientific evidence. Right. So I think a lot of people might read the story or, or hear these comments offhand and think, oh, well, they're just talking politics. Those are politicians. That's what they do. But the stances that they have have real-world implications for their jobs, so for disaster planning, for rebuilding standards after storms, for defense, climate change touches all of that. And, and what they're saying, essentially, some of them are saying, uh, oh, well, we, we don't know. The line sort of used to be, I'm not a scientist, so I can't tell you. Now they're saying, well, there's uncertainty. And there is always uncertainty in science, but the consensus among world scientists is that it's a very, very, very low amount of certain uncertainty that they are sure that humans are the dominant cause of climate change, but you still hear 
a lot of Republicans saying we're not sure that that's true. So it seems like there's this propensity to sort of lean on that uncertainty, even when, you know, anytime you have scientific research that's compiled, there is always, you know, a, a percent chance, usually something that's so negligible, we ignore it. But it seems like there is that propensity to lean on that uncertainty, that one or two percent chance that maybe climate that climate change isn't caused by man. Yes. So during confirmation hearings, you heard a lot of people say something along the lines of, you know, we can't uh, measure with precision how much humans are impacting climate change. But that's, that's just not true. We can measure with precision and, and scientists do. And I think that you've seen a shift where you might have at one time seen people denying climate change. And in 2008, you saw Republicans actually acknowledging it and saying this is something that we need to address and we want to do it in a way that won't hurt the economy, but it is a serious threat and something that we have to consider for, for national security. But a, a lot of what you hear now is we're, we're just not sure for Republicans in these top positions. And many more Republicans uh, made it into their posts without going on the, the record on this recently. And so we, we just don't know what they actually think about this. So and President Trump, um, you know, he, he doesn't as much play on the uncertainty. He's more, you know, in the past, he said that climate change is a hoax. Recently, he said that, or he implied that uh, polar ice is not melting, which is, is not true. Uh, so the stances of his, his officials seem to be a little bit different than his. And yet you spoke, you did get a statement from the White House um, where they sort of um, waffled on the issue a little bit, uh, punted, if you will. They said the climate has changed and is always changing. The administration supports rigorous scientific analysis and debate, but that doesn't seem to be reflected in, in practice. So this is a statement that you hear from the White House a lot, and it, it doesn't exactly align with what the president has said. And we've had plenty of White House correspondents asking, what does the president actually know about this? What does he believe about this? He doesn't have a science advisor. How is he forming his opinions on climate change? And uh, what you hear from, from the White House and from people who get to write out these, you know, these well-thought statements that they know are going to appear in news articles, they say, uh, like you said, the climate has changed. It's always changing. Of course, climate is always changing, but that's not what is happening right now. What is happening right now is a, a deviation from what we've seen in the past. And scientists say that it's very clear that it's happening because humans are burning fossil fuels and, and that is contributing these greenhouse gas emissions that are warming the planet. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm speaking with Emily Holden. She's the energy and climate change reporter at Politico, and she recently wrote an article titled Climate Change Skeptics Run the Trump Administration. Emily, um, I want to talk about the effect that it has across the board within the administration. I think it's very easy for us to think about how having a skeptic at the head of the EPA, which Scott Pruitt at the head of the EPA has shown um, that he is skeptical of the science. Um, that seems like really tangible and easy to grasp why that might be a problem. But tell me a little bit about why it might be a problem that a climate change skeptic would be in charge of the CIA or the Department of the Interior or um, even at HUD with, with Ben Carson? Sure. So when you think of, of climate change uh, doubters, you probably think of Scott Pruitt, the head of the EPA, because he's been most vocal on this. He's talked about this on television shows and all of his media appearances. He suggested there should be a, a federal government-sponsored debate uh, on the science and uh, you, you might not know that actually a lot of other people have said that they have the same feelings about or similar feelings about climate change as, as he does. Uh, but many of these comments were a couple years ago. Uh, a lot of officials made it into their new jobs without 
talking about this again on the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did. They have had opportunities to clarify if their if their thoughts have changed. But if you look at uh, the CIA director uh, Mike Pompeo, for example, he said there's some who think we're warming. There's some who think we're cooling. Scientists don't agree with that. Uh, global warming is happening. Um, but for the national defense for the last two administrations, you know, for the George W. Bush administration, a Republican, for the Obama administration, looking at the risks associated with climate change has been a major part of the defense strategy. And in a national security strategy that we saw come out recently from the Trump administration, they did not talk about climate change as a risk. So things like uh, whether climate change is exacerbating terrorism, when you see in certain areas, drought and uh, civic instability, it's proven that that can cause uh, or, or make worse terrorism, and that's something that certainly the U.S. has wanted to pay attention to in the past. You you might not see them looking at that in the same way now. How many of these departments have some branch of research that involves science that has touched on climate and climate change as affecting their body of work uh, into the future? Do most departments have some element of research that has talked about climate change in some capacity? I think that climate change uh, likely hasn't affected every agency uh, in places that you might not imagine, too. So as I was researching this, I was looking at uh, some quotes from um, the head of the Small Business Administration, for example, and I was thinking, well, how exactly does climate change affect her work? Um, And I I started looking through and seeing that, oh, well, SBA actually has said uh, we need to address the slow response we have after hurricanes. And so disaster planning for them is, is a very big deal because they need to help small businesses get back online as soon as possible. And in order to do that, they need to have a really clear view of what kind of disasters they're going to expect, how many at one time, how that might drain the federal government resources. And so they might not actually be doing the science themselves, but they certainly are impacted by it and informed by it. And how, how are these department heads shaping their departments, either consciously or, or unconsciously, that reflect these sort of skeptic, skeptical views? Are, are they eliminating? I know that we've seen some elimination of, of language that would insinuate that they cared about or were interested in climate mm-hmm. change. Um, but how about uh, from a personnel standpoint? Are they eliminating science and research departments or wings that, are, that used to be dedicated or are dedicated to climate change research? Well, it depends on the agency. So at EPA, uh, absolutely, you've seen a shift from considering climate change at all. You've seen big changes to their science advisory boards, to the type of people that they they listen to when they make science decisions. And so they've removed some of the sort of uh, academic, like university-based types and replaced those people with um, uh, researchers from businesses, uh, from corporations, and and from states, and um you, you know, at other agencies, it's been a little bit different. It's not as obvious. They might have removed references to climate change from their websites. They might not have it in their strategic plan and that sort of thing. Um, but I think a lot of the staffers who work for these individuals are getting mixed messages. And so they say, well, we know what you've said on this before. So uh, we may not be comfortable talking as openly about our work, even if we think it is very important to the projects that we're doing. So um, I think one example of mixed messages is at uh, housing and urban development. So Ben Carson uh, has said that, you know, I I know there are a lot of people who say overwhelming science, but then when you ask them to show the overwhelming science, they never can show it. That was in 2015. Um, And so there was a a recent executive order where the Trump administration said, uh, you know, agencies no longer have to consider climate change uh, when they're telling 
uh, when they're directing how federal funds are spent after disasters. Hmm. And so that was that happened right around when all the major hurricanes happened last year. And, and there was a real concern that money would be going into projects that wouldn't be safeguarded against climate change. But then when HUD actually told states how to spend a, a large amount of disaster spending that Congress approved, they still had that standard in there. Hmm. And so it, it's really unclear what they'll do moving forward. It's unclear how the executive order affected that decision or who at HUD said to go ahead and do that. And uh, it's all kind of behind the curtain. Well, it seems to me that the the long-term impact might be the thing that's of concern, not whether or not HUD is directing, you know, uh, the current the current climate and, and, and saying you have to build for the future right now, but maybe with future administrations, there might be some confusion going forward. Is there any um, worry that that this is like a long-term issue that's going to take a while to maybe get back to Obama-era uh, regulations? Or is there a sense that, mm-hmm. you know, with a new administration, so too comes n- new values and it'll be pretty easy to put things back in place? So a lot of this work under the Obama administration was done uh, through the White House to tell agencies you need to think more about what you're doing on climate change, how you talk about climate change, make it part of every process that you do. Um, but many other things, especially uh, efforts to limit greenhouse gas emissions, regulations from EPA, uh, Administrator Scott Pruitt is in the process of rolling back. So like the, the Clean Power Plan, for example, it would have um, shifted uh, the nation's power sources uh, or, or use of electricity away from coal and more toward natural gas, more toward renewable energy and energy efficiency, the more efficient use of power. Um, and, and so that efforts like that would take a long time to get back online uh, if if a future administration chooses to do that. And also, you have to consider that a lot of this will be caught up in a very long-term court process. Mm -hmm. And so while environmentalists, I think, would say there are a lot of things that uh, the next president could come back and do right away, there are also many things that would take quite a bit of time. Um, The president has said that he plans to exit the International Paris Agreement on Climate Change. So uh, there, there might be uh, quite a bit of time for diplomats to, I think, get back involved with the rest of the countries in the world and what their contributions will be. And um, the U.S. would also have to prove again that it it means what it says it is going to do and that you know future change in administration w- would not uh, affect that. Emily, before I let you go, I'm just curious if it's clear what Scott Pruitt, why Scott Pruitt is interested in this position. I know as attorney general, He sort of fought against environmentalists defending, I believe, oil companies. You can correct me if I'm wrong, as attorney general in Oklahoma. Um, But what what is his angle? Why was he interested in this position? So he he sued uh, EPA more than a dozen times as attorney general of Oklahoma. And he has sort of built his career on um, the idea that the federal government has uh, gained too much power, gone too far, that it is overstepping what should be states' rights, and as head of EPA, he said, we're going to delegate all this power back to states, um, but uh, you know, not necessarily with more money for them to do the things that are required of them by law. And, and so I think it's a mix of, you know, he says that there is this regulatory overreach. He also says that he thinks there's much more uncertainty in the science and there should be a debate. You know, scientists would say, uh, you know, we already have a debate. Uh, that's how the scientific process works. That's how <laughs> we review each other's work. That's that's very critical already. Um, and, and also, yes, like he he is uh, he is very pro industry. I think he would say that himself. That he thinks that industry, you know, corporations can be good actors if the government will work with them. You don't necessarily have to punish them. You can work with them to get good environmental outcomes. Um, 
at the same time, you know, sometimes when necessary, you know, it, it's uh, issuing, um, you know, fees and the like and, and suing when necessary, but far less than the federal government has, has done previously. Emily Holden, thank you so much for joining Detroit today. Thank you. Emily Holden is an energy and climate change reporter with Politico. She recently wrote an article titled Climate Change Skeptics Run the Trump Administration. She spoke with Detroit Today senior producer Laura Weber Davis. Coming up, we're going to continue our conversation about how government research and attitudes about climate change are changing. And don't forget, if you have to step away from the radio for any reason, you don't have to miss out on today's conversation. You can go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day. Every day. Every day. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Even if there are climate skeptics leading our massive federal government departments, Seems like we could and should derive some comfort knowing science and scientists aren't going away. Biologists, environmentalists, researchers, climate scientists, they aren't going to stop caring about the long-term implications of our climate changing. But the federal government also holds the purse strings for much of the work that they do, even at the university level, where a lot of our independent research is being conducted. What does that mean for the future of climate science investment and America's ability to play a cooperative role in combating climate change on a global scale? We want to continue our conversation about the Trump administration's effect on climate change policy, uh, on science, and we want to hear from you. Are you concerned about the future of environmental research? Is it concerning to you that we have climate change deniers all around the president in agencies that actually, in some cases, don't have anything to do with climate science, and they still feel the need to speak up uh, as climate skeptics. 313-577-1019, as always, is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we'll work you into the conversation. I also want to hear from you if you think this is something that will just sort itself out in the long run with a new president. Climate policy changes with administrations. There's nothing new about that. Is Donald Trump just another iteration in that series of changes? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. And joining us now to talk more about climate science and funding for climate science is Nick Schreck, who is the director of the Transnational Environmental Law Clinic and an assistant clinical professor at Wayne State University Law School. Nick, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah. So so what's happening right now with climate science funding? Is that changing uh, to reflect the changes in the in the administration? Well, yes. I mean, the, the budget that we've seen presented by the administration um, has continued, just like we saw last year, it's continued to look at cuts to you know certain areas of scientific research that are not, I guess the most generous way to put it, is are not priorities of the administration. And so we've seen a shift away from 
things like research uh, towards uh, climate change. We've even seen the, the stripping of the words climate change from a lot of our government websites. Um, we've, we've seen uh, proposals to drastically reduce and cut funding for things like research on the Great Lakes and the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative right here at home. And a lot of that has to deal with a changing climate and what um, warming Great Lakes mean to our economy and to our region. And so, yeah, we have seen that that shift away from climate science and climate change research as a priority from this administration. Yeah. So how much of what's happening at the top trickles down to what's happening at the ground level? I mean, does this, you know, this is this is about people's lives too and their work. Right. Uh, are we seeing that dramatically get changed? Uh, well, so some of this stuff happens over time because you'll have like a five-year grant to um, from a, a you know a federal agency, let's say the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, which um, they fund a lot of our research centers around the country, um, including our center at Wayne State University, our Cures Center. And while we don't specifically look at climate change, we look at a lot of health impacts from industries that emit a lot of greenhouse gases and climate uh, <laughs> climate change causing uh, chemicals and pollutants. So, yeah. you know, things like coal plants and, and and the particulate matter and those types of chemicals that you know actually have health impacts today, um, setting aside the, the climatological impacts. So you have these these longer term government grants, and what happens is if, if that funding shifts and changes over time, then a lot of those researchers that have been investing, you know, in many cases years of their careers looking at the end of these topics, if that funding starts to dry up, then that research goes away, and that can you know have impacts here on the ground. Yeah. And, and and even shorter term, I mean, when we talk about planning, um, and you know, in the political piece, did a good job of looking at things like defense, you know, national defense planning and, you know, how we're kind of setting up our pieces on the chessboard, thinking about the next threats globally. I mean, that's having impacts today. You know, if we're not actively thinking about, you know, famine and, and change, extreme weather events that can cause disruptions, which can lead to, to terrorism um, outbreaks and that type of thing. I mean, that can have, you know, real on the ground impacts yeah. today if we're not focusing on it. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Great Lakes in particular, the region in, in which we live. Trump administration has taken a couple runs at the idea of eliminating federal funding for the cleanup of the of the lakes the the, the restoration project there um, how does that relate to this this other this other sphere of, of questions about climate science and and climate science funding I mean it, on the surface it certainly seems like an aggressive move to, to, to try to squelch it in mm -hmm. some way uh, but but talk about how that might play out for us in particular Sure. So climate change is, if you ask any of the scientists, any of the researchers, any of the advocates that are working on Great Lakes issues, climate change is always right there at the top of the list of a key threat to the Great Lakes. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, if we have... Um, warmer lakes, less ice cover in the winter, that changes the whole ecosystem and the way that it interacts. Um, we've seen impacts to fish populations. We have some of our, our colder water fish species that can um, have, have trouble reproducing in, in certain, um, it, you know, the way that they normally are used to if we have these dramatic spikes and changes in, in temperature. Um, increased storms and intensity of storms. This is a big one. So the runoff from agriculture as well as from, in our urban areas, from our, our stormwater those discharges that run off into the Great Lakes has dramatic impacts. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's what we talk about algae growth in Lake Erie. A lot of that is attributed to 
runoff from agriculture from these intense storms where we get heavier rain events, uh, more intense rain events. And so we're seeing that on the ground right now. And and when, when we talk about the research angle, I mean, if you cut the funding to the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, that's less money for regrants to, to groups that are doing habitat restoration, you know, that we're trying to rebuild some of these wetlands that historically we've we've lost and drained around the Great Lakes region. And so if you don't have that money coming in, it's a lot harder for these local organizations to do that work and for our, our government-funded scientists to continue their really important work. Um, you know, and, and it's interesting. So right now, this week um, has been Great Lakes Day in Washington, where we've had uh, a lot of the groups, the Great Lakes Commission and um, the Healing Our Waters Coalition, they've all been in Washington, D.C., advocating for more federal funding and more research and more interest in the Great Lakes. Um, yet really, we're, we're in that mode of, of playing defense and trying to make sure the administration doesn't cut these really critical programs. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Nick Shrek. He is the director of the Transnational Environmental Law Clinic and an assistant clinical professor at Wayne State University Law School. We're talking about climate science funding and uh, climate science in general in the context of the Trump administration, which has uh, filled out as uh, a haven, I guess, for climate spe- skeptics and deniers, people who, even if it's not their job to talk about climate science or manage that arm of the government, they feel pretty comfortable coming out and saying, hey, I don't really believe in these things, or I don't believe that human beings are having the effect on the planet that many scientists believe we are having. Uh, what effect is that having on the investment we make in climate science, knowing more about how the environment uh, is shaped by our behavior, how much uh, of the research that takes place at universities, for instance, is threatened by this attitude from the Trump administration. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call. Tell us what you think about the people who are around the president and whether you uh, are concerned about the future of environmental research because of those folks. Uh, Is it concerning to you that we've got climate deniers in many, many different governmental agencies? Or do you think that maybe this is just a sort of quarter turn change, that administrations all have a different approach to policy issues, and this is just the Trump administration's approach, and that uh, it will have only a short-term effect or and not a long-term one. Also, give us a call and tell us what you think about climate issues here in the Great Lakes. Uh, of course, the, our, our reservoir of fresh water is one of the great concerns uh, that environmental activists have about climate change and climate policy. Uh, the idea of threatening that, that reservoir or maybe having it not be what it is today. Uh, again, if you want to give us a call, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Steve in Ontario. Steve, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm frustrated looking at your country from ours. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I don't want har- to jump all over your president. He's, he's only been in office a year. Uh-huh. Um, But I don't understand, even if he denies climate change or anybody denies climate change, I can't comprehend why you'd want to ramp up production of coal to make electricity when the entire world knows that that's not good for the for the environment. It's just it makes more mess. So so you you stop doing that just so you have a healthier place to live. That, That just 
that's just common sense. Right. Now, add into that the fact that he's, he's, he's actually ordering the ramping up, apparently, of more mountaintop removal in the state of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just unsustainable out the wazoo. I, 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 I have trouble comprehending that. Yeah. Uh, Steve, I, you know, I, I, I would say I have trouble comprehending both of those uh, policies coming out of the administration as well. The, the, the second issue you mentioned is something that's pretty uh, close to me. Personally, I lived in Kentucky for uh, two years and spent a lot of that time out in the coal counties uh, in eastern Kentucky learning about how they extract coal from these these mountains and the 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 procedure you're talking about is is strip mining and and the the kind of things that uh, that have been gone absent really from life in Kentucky for a really long time uh, and you've got this this administration saying huh, maybe we ought to go back to those things uh, uh, Steve's call though uh, Nick Shrek raises an interesting question I think about how this fits into the global context. I mean, he lives in Canada. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're looking at us, as he says, a little askance. Uh, but it's also that there are other countries around the globe who I think are surprised by what the president is talking about and concerned about it. And I guess it gets to the, the sort of fundamental question of whether uh, whether the efforts to deal with climate change can be successful if the United States is not a willing and active partner in those efforts. Well, it certainly makes it much more difficult to have a, a global approach to addressing this critical issue of climate change because, you know, we are one of the largest emitters of greenhouse gases, mm-hmm. um, you know, full stop. And, and you look at per capita, we're easily up there um, at the top of the list, meaning that we're emitting, you know, more more greenhouse gases per person than, than pretty much anywhere else in the world. And, and you know, the other thing is to, to step back and look at, you know, this question of having climate change deniers, climate change skeptics at the, the top levels levels of government, from the president to his cabinet um, and across all of this federal agencies. The issue is that, you know, we're really an outlier around the world to have these people with these views in the upper levels of government. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really, we, we are the only place in the world where we have one of our major political parties that this has basically been their, um, you know, operating agenda is that we're going to deny or we're going to raise questions. We're going to sow confusion about climate science and about investment in um, strategies to combat climate change. And yeah. so so there's a lot of cover for people like the president when, when he makes these outrageous claims like that climate science is a hoax or that climate change is a hoax. Um, and that's just not true. And so, but, but you, you see some muted pushback because that's sort of been um, the, the, the line that's been coming out of the Republican Party for the past couple decades. And that's really problematic because it gives some, some agency, it gives some cover for people to make these claims. And then we have the rest of the world looking at us and saying, you know, what, what are you doing? I mean, I thought we were all on the same page here. We're trying to work together. We had the Paris Agreement and, and then now we're, we're kind of changing directions here in this country. And, and that's, I think, you know, going back to um, George W. Bush and his administration, even though you did not have the same sort of aggressive push towards dealing with the effects today of climate change, they certainly were looking at, you know, longer term, they were doing the research. Um, you had these defense strategies looking at how climate change would lead to catastrophes around the globe and what the, what those implications could be for our country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the retreat that we've seen from the Trump administration and this, this talk of really calling into question climate change as, as <laughs> in its own right is something that we haven't seen before and I think is something that's really uh, troubling. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, I, I want to talk a little about green technology and the economy that's sort of grown up around that. This is not just about social activism. It's not just about people who believe 
uh, that that humans are affecting climate change or that that uh, that uh, change in the climate will affect us. There's also money uh, being yeah. made uh, by people who are, who are coming up with different ways to, to to power things. Talk about the effects of this administration on that economy and on on that research. Yeah, and you know the the caller Steve, he made the point about um, coal and kind of doubling down on coal, which is is really an industry that is is dying because of economic reasons. And in large part, those economic reasons are that we can generate electricity from wind and from solar, um, from other sources like even natural gas that are much cleaner um, than burning coal. And it, it makes economic sense to diversify mm-hmm. our electric generating portfolio. So having more solar, having more wind, and those costs continue to come down while we've continued to see the the cost of fossil fuels will increase over time and has increased increased over time. So, yeah, I mean, we've seen this this big increase. Um, you know, the number of jobs in the solar industry mm-hmm. far outweighs the number of jobs in the coal industry mm-hmm. in this country. Mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of that that hasn't really gotten through a lot of the noise, but there are more people today working in solar in this country than there are working in coal. You don't hear about that very much. You hear about, you know, the guys with the hard hats down in the mine. <laughs> and and it's important, you know, we want to make sure that we have a, a transition for people that are in those those industries like uh, like coal and like um, these other natural resource extraction industries to figure out what's next for them. You know, we don't want to leave people behind in a renewable energy economy. But the thing is, there's, there's strategy, strategies there. There's proven technologies. Here in Michigan, we're getting um, about 12 to 15 percent of our electricity today from wind. And, and that's just really over the last 10 years that we've seen that developed and, and built out. So we can make dramatic strides. You know, we can get to 30, 40 percent renewable energy in Michigan without too much trouble, you know, yeah. just some investments from our from our utilities. And so that's exciting. I mean, there definitely are ways to to get ourselves out of this mess, but we need to be realistic about it. We need to, I think, sort of like the first step is admitting there's a problem, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when we're denying that problem, mm-hmm. that leads to um, just confusion and to not making these targeted investments in renewable energy that we, re- we really need to make. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Don in Detroit. Don, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Um, I'd just like to mention that I'm 51 years old, and I've seen the changes in my lifetime where winters had snow all the way through. <laughs> now it's cyclical with this rain and freezing and thawing, and it's economically terrible. It's unsafe for people to uh, be out on the ice for tourism and anything else. It's destroying um just places where people live and these storms are getting accelerated. And as uh, an elementary school kid, we learned about weather patterns and that. And I think the Trump administration ought to go back to learning a little bit more about basic science. And one other thing about the fracking and the gas and oil industry, it may be great to get away from coal, like the gentleman from Ontario said, but we also need to consider that fracking, bringing the carbons out of deep in the earth, needs to stop too because not only are we bringing accelerating the cycle of carbons in the air but we're also making these drastic storms that are going to affect the way people think that oh if you contain chemicals and things like that they're not going to stay contained because these uh, terrible storms and floods and whatnot are going to make things change and they're not going to stay put like people right. think they are. They're yeah. not going to Dawn, stay safe and contained. Don, no question. Uh, you're you're raising great points there about uh, about the way we think about these things and the effects uh, that we see uh, around us. Uh, before we break, Nick Shrek, I want you to talk just briefly about uh, the effect, uh, the disproportionate effects of, of of these things. We don't think, I think, enough in those terms, but. Poor people, mm-hmm. people of color who tend to be more affected by poverty than than, than others. 
the, the, the change in climate really means something different to them. And, and that's one of the real frustrating things when you see people in the Trump administration just sort of casually throw out these falsehoods in some cases uh, about this. It, the, the danger uh, to the most vulnerable people in our society is really, really Im- incredible. That's so true. And I mean, look, look back to last year, you know, look at who was largely impacted by hurricanes, you know, look at Puerto mm-hmm. Rico. I mean, that is still an ongoing disaster that we have not responded to um, of our, you know, our citizens, people in this country, we have not responded to um, and, and to help them get, get back on their feet after a devastating hurricane. Houston, you know, the people that are, are affected are, are poor black people, people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen this time and time again, go back to New Orleans. And so, and, and not just in hurricanes, when we look at changes in um, food availability. And when you look at when there's there's spikes in commodity prices and things because you have a drought, mm-hmm. um, those price po- <laughs> when you have a, a dollar increase in, in the cost of corn, I mean, that hits our most vulnerable population much more significantly than it does our wealthier citizens. And so also things looking at transit, you know, we don't have good transit to get people from areas of cities that might be flooded mm-hmm. or areas of cities where they might not have access to air conditioning to get to cooling centers. I mean, not having those plans in place really impacts our most vulnerable citizens in this country. And so, you know, I guess what I would say is that you talk about climate deniers and climate skeptics. I mean, kids today that are in high school and in college, they've never lived in a year that has been colder than average. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. So, it's so this is, yeah, year. it's warmer every year. Last year was the second most, uh, second warmest year that we've ever recorded. And so this is happening. It's not like it's some hypothetical thing. You know, we're seeing more intense storms, changes in weather patterns, changes in climate patterns. And so denying it isn't really, um, defensible at this point. We need to be looking towards the future and towards action and how we can you know, protect our most vulnerable citizens, but also make sure that we've got a future that we can all live and thrive. Right. Um, and all of us, because um, we're all really in this together. Yeah. Okay. Nick Schreck, director of the Transnational Environmental Law Clinic, assistant clinical professor at Wayne State University Law School. Thanks as always for joining us here on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Up next, the BBC is in Detroit to look at our city through a literary lens. We're going to talk to the BBC producer who's visiting and a local author who is helping to tell our story to the UK. Stay with us on Detroit Today.